Hey there, and welcome to You Talk. We connect with extraordinary people across Canada and ask them about their stories, passions, and experiences. I'm your host, Ryan Fung. During summer, we have Pride, an event that recognizes the struggles and discrimination those in the 2S LGBTQ community have gone through, and a promise to work towards a brighter future. Although there are scatterings of other days throughout the year, it's important to have these conversations year-round. Let's sit down with Brie Giesbrecht from the Rainbow Resource Center to navigate the conversation of gender identity, pronouns, and to share services available for individuals and families. My name is Brie Giesbrecht, my pronouns are they, them, and I am the Training and Education Coordinator at Rainbow Resource Center. It's so awesome that you're uh, chatting with me about this because just myself dealing with identity issues and like sexual orientation and for many people like it's it's such a challenge. There's still so many issues out there in terms of the uh, rainbow community. So I guess let's just start with, you know, we had pride back in summer and there are several awareness days throughout the year. Do you feel we should be talking about, you know, the issues that are surrounding queer individuals more. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it very much is a topic that is relevant to us LGBTQ plus folks exist every day of the year. And that's not to say we need to be having pride parades and events and remembrance days every single day. But just because we aren't talking about it doesn't mean those folks don't exist. And it doesn't mean that those folks aren't facing discrimination and harassment. And so it really is relevant all the time. And just because pride ends doesn't mean those folks cease to exist. Uh, so it, it is relevant 365 days of the year. I think it's also important, as we've seen in the media with Dave Chappelle and his take on the Netflix special for uh, transgender folks, it can be dangerous for people when, you know, these stigmas, misunderstanding, and, and straight up bigotry is just kind of pushed out into the mainstream and not uh, not addressed. Totally, and it was kind of the issue too that we saw with uh, J.K. Rowling with her posting and promoting these uh, kind of like so transphobic, like so problematic, blatantly transphobic, like not even just dabbling kind of like surface level, like it just was straight up horrible. That essay that she posted about uh, you know trans folks ruining children's lives or whatever it was. And then like the book that she wrote in a well-loved series, uh, she wrote it under her pseudonym, uh, Robert Galbraith. Well, it's a very popular series. Uh, it's, you know, well enjoyed, very well developed. I know lots of people who read it. And so to just kind of casually slip in a wildly transphobic book that causes so much harm it really normalizes these ideas of transphobia and it makes it easier for people to be like, whoa, yeah, I should be scared of trans women in the bathroom because they might be murderers because the book said so. It creates these, like a whirlwind of issues when it becomes so mainstream, these ideas. I think she recently was trending on social media again because she was uh, crying foul that, oh no, people are doxing me like my house. And it's like, oh, it's all these tra transgender folks and advocates that are like coming to get me because I'm speaking the truth. And it's like, no, no, no. First of all, your house is public domain. People know, like it's available online. People have covered it in the media. And it just is so blown out of proportion and blamed on trans folks, which just kind of 
perpetuates this idea that trans folks are causing violence and are dangerous and are people that people should be afraid of. So harmful. It's so messed up. It also just is like ridiculous and illogical and paranoid. I don't know. In terms of like hypotheticals or anecdotes, I mean, in any population, when it's large enough, of course there are bad apples in it, but it doesn't represent the community as a whole, as we've seen generalization of any um, minority community. Totally. Yeah. And the fact, too, is that always the issue about trans women in bathrooms and this view that it's like these are just men who are wearing dresses that they can prey on women. But like the reality is actual trans women like that is the last thing on their mind. They are the ones that are afraid to be in the bathroom a lot of the time. They're the ones that are, you know, worried about if they're going to be accepted or if they're going to be called out and be told like, oh, this is the women's room. They're the ones that are at risk. Yeah, I'm sure it has happened that there was a cisgender man who was being creepy, but that doesn't change the fact that it's trans women who are at a significantly higher risk of violence. Um, and so to put blame on them is just so cruel. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Like it's the exact opposite of what the reality is. There's a lot of things going on, unfortunately. And a lot of people on the left were, were trying to fight for equality and that understanding acceptance. But for the folks who are maybe unaware of what the whole rainbow community is what is lgbtq plus i know there's some other ones in there that i missed so rainbow resource center uses the acronym 2slgbtq plus um the 2s standing for two spirit uh which is an indigenous identity uh it's placed at the front of our acronym uh, or the acronym we use uh, just to have it as a place of honor to recognize that two-spirit folks and indigenous folks have uh, experienced a disproportionately large amount of violence. So we have 2SLGBTQ+, L standing for lesbian, G standing for gay, B for bisexual, T for transgender, and then Q stands for queer and questioning. Uh, and then that plus is just really a symbol to recognize that there are so many other identities that exist within the community, quite literally thousands of labels. Uh, and, you know, if our acronym included all of them, it would be going on for way too long and people already make fun of it as it is. So uh, at some point it has to stop. And so that plus is really just a, an important symbol and it's a really important thing to include to recognize that, you know, the community doesn't end after that cue. Uh, it continues going. We just you know, you run out of room in an acronym at some point. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, like, you hear the, that out in the street. They're like, oh, why do you need such a large acronym? It's like, well, we're trying to be inclusive. Some people call it the alphabet community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of documentation, it can be annoying, like, when you're, like, writing it out. But, like, I understand the significance of it, especially for two-spirit folks and the, the significance that has had on in or in indigenous communities just recognizing it and honoring it in a way that doesn't just kind of throw the name at the end of the acronym but kind of put it at the front and you know there's so many different versions of the acronym there's no one correct one uh rainbow resource center uses 2slgbtq plus just so that we're all on the same page and all using the same one but of course you're going to find other ones there's lots that uh include the i and the a for intersex folks and agender or asexual folks so there's not really a correct answer so much as just one that we all use and have adopted and i know for myself i often use um 
queer to represent the community. I know uh, not everyone wants that as kind of the, the label, but sometimes it, it's easier just to label it or rainbow uh, community in reference to the uh, the flag for those who are not aware. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice to just kind of have a one word instead of a ton of letters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For someone who's maybe questioning their own identity, or maybe they have a, a family member, how do you approach someone when you think maybe they could be part of this community? Yeah, I think the biggest thing would be if they don't feel comfortable telling you, then don't push it. Uh, there's no reason to ask somebody what their identity is. Um, and if somebody tells you, just kind of trust it. Um, if they aren't telling you for some reason, it's maybe more of a reflection of you. And it's something that you should reflect on if you're like, hmm, I wonder if this person is gay. First of all, if you're wondering that, it's probably based off of stereotypes, not based off of what a person's actually telling you. Because if somebody says, no, I am not gay, and you're like, hmm, you seem kind of gay, you're doing that based off of stereotypes because you're certainly not listening to the words the person is saying. Uh, but that said, there are folks who don't necessarily feel comfortable coming out. And really then the thing to do is making sure that you are a safe person, uh, making sure that you are aware of conversations around pronouns, that you aren't assuming pronouns, that you aren't you know, saying like, oh, are you bringing a girlfriend home or are you bringing a boyfriend home? Like not making those gendered assumptions. Um, and that can make a huge difference because if you're constantly doing that, it's gonna be a lot harder for somebody to, it almost feels like admitting to something at that point because you're like, you have this idea of who I am and I don't fit into it. And now I have to feel like I admit to being different than you expected. Whereas if you're interacting with folks with a very like neutral, not making assumptions, not kind of using these terms, it's going to make it easier for a person to come out and to share that with you on a neutral level than when they're feeling like they have to work against an idea you already have. You want to provide an atmosphere where someone is comfortable. If they're moving from a country where it's illegal to be gay or part of the that larger community, they might still be scared or have traumas from their life back there, or maybe they have family members where they don't feel safe coming out. Totally, yeah. I know I have a friend who came from a country where it was illegal to be queer, and that was part of their decision in leaving their whole family behind and moving here just so that they could live authentically. And, you know, it's that's not to say that Canada is perfect, but it's so essential to have spaces where people feel like they can be themselves. And it's something that all people need. It's not even just a 2S LGBTQ plus issue. Everybody deserves to feel safe, whether it's because of, you know, relating to their mental health issues or uh, disabilities or their, you know, skin color. There's so many different ways in which um, different marginalized identities deserve to feel safe. It's not just this like, oh, you know, the gays are at it again, uh, trying to create safe spaces. Like it's important for everybody to feel safe and like that they're not going to be discriminated against or hurt even more than they often are. Any minority group, it's just a, a place where people have similar or the same lived experiences where they can talk with someone like for myself, I probably shouldn't go to some of these um, multicultural safe spaces on like a campus because it's not for me. I don't face that dis discrimination or racism against me because I'm privileged because I was born a cis white male. And that's not to say you can't be an advocate or an ally for those groups, 
Um, but also recognizing that there is a sense of community when people can connect with other folks who have those similar lived experiences and to insert yourself into those communities and to insert yourself into those areas where people are trying to connect with each other, it can cause a lot of harm. So leaving those spaces for those minorities to exist. Um, and, you know, it's called minority for a reason. Uh, they're often, those are groups where they are constantly surrounded by people who are not like them. And so to have a space where it's like everybody here gets it everybody here understands. I don't have to perform. I don't have to put on my like straight mask or my cisgender mask or my, you know, Canadian mask, like whatever that may be, uh, where it's like, I can just truly be myself with these people. It can cause a lot of harm to have people um, kind of just assume that they're welcome there and assume that that's a space where they could also be. Play the more supportive role. Stand back. Wait for people to invite you. If Wait for that invitation. Don't just jump up in there. Talking about creating those safe spaces, being uh, welcoming and open uh, to others, you mentioned pronouns. I know online there's a lot of <laughs> issues and contention around uh, pronouns, specifically like neo-pronouns, but just what is a pronoun, what is a neo-pronoun, and why is it important whoops, to uh, use these uh, specific languages? Pronouns, it has become this whole big kind of like queer topic when in reality we use pronouns constantly. You know, if you're talking about, man, the number of pronouns I've just used in these past sentences, right? Like I'm saying we use pronouns constantly. We is a pronoun. Uh, instead of saying all humans, I'm saying we, uh, in, I'm saying I, I is a pronoun, you is a pronoun. These are things that we are constantly using in our sentences, um, but somehow people have turned it into like, oh, you're not one of those pronouns people, are you? And it's like, well, you just used an awful lot of pronouns in a sentence for somebody who isn't a pronouns person. Um, but really where it becomes relevant within the 2SLGBTQ plus community in particular is this idea that the pronouns she uh, and he, so like she, her pronouns, he, him pronouns, they have gender assigned to them. There is an assumption of gender. Uh, so she, her pronouns are typically more associated with women. He, him pronouns are typically more associated with men. Uh, for folks where their gender identity exists outside of those two very constrictive categories, uh, they maybe don't want their pronouns to just kind of automatically associate them with one of these groups. Um, because like, I mean, I could get into gender stuff all day long. Um, but when you really think about it, like if someone was to ask you, how do you know you're a man? Or how do you know you're a woman? It there, It's a hard thing to answer, right? Like, it's like, I don't know. I just, I just know it. It's just a feeling. Um, there's no real like, well, you know, I had this epiphany at the age of seven that like, yep, I'm a boy. Like for the most part, people don't have that idea. It's just like, oh, I don't know. It's just, it's just who it's just I am. Always, it's always been there. It's always been exactly. there. There's something about it. There wasn't that set moment, uh, yeah, like online where it's like, oh, this thing happened and then my son turned gay. Totally, yeah. And it's like, it's it's just who people are. And in the same way that for myself as a non-binary individual, like, I don't know how to describe the fact that I'm non-binary. If someone says, how do you know you're non-binary? I'm like, I just know, like, there's no way to describe it. It just is like, this is just my existence. Um, and so for folks 
who have that like really strong sense that they're like, I don't want people to see me as a woman. I don't want people to see me as a man. To have gender neutral pronouns makes a world of a difference. Um, and it feels so much more validating to be like, oh, the language somebody's using for me is not making an assumption that my gender identity is that of a woman or is that of a man just because of the body I was born into, because uh, those are totally separate things. Um, so it does absolutely cause a lot of contention on the internet. Um, they them pronouns the most common um, kind of rebuttal, I guess, to using they them pronouns is that like, oh, it's a plural pronoun, like the grammar is incorrect. But first of all, that's just wrong. Um, if you want a fun little like history English nerd fact, um, Shakespeare actually used they them pronouns in the singular. So this is like 14th. 1400s. So like, it's not a new concept. Um, and we use like they, them as singular pronouns all the time. If I would say, I have a friend coming over later, you would say, what time will they be there? You're not going to say what time is he or she going to be there? It sounds weird and clunky. Or if you see a wallet on a bus seat, you would say, oh, somebody forgot their wallet. You're assuming it's not a whole group of people. It's just one person's wallet, but you're using gender neutral pronouns. Um, and so it's common in our language. Uh, where it becomes a bit more difficult is when you actually see a person and you have to fight against that like social training to be like, oh, that person has a beard, must be a man, or that person's wearing lipstick, must be a woman. Because we really make these assumptions and we try to categorize people and we try to like fit them into these sets of pronouns just based off of what they look like. Um, and so that's where it gets harder to use gender neutral pronouns because we really like sorting people into she, her, or he, him pronouns. We like it. And like, it happens for me too, where I see somebody who I'm not even having a conversation with. Like I maybe just pass somebody, you know, at the grocery store and I'm like, whoa, I can't tell if they're a woman or a man. And then I have to remind myself like, wow, you know, like I wouldn't have been able to tell no matter what, but there is this sense of discomfort where you're like, I wouldn't know how to talk about you. But the reality is we wouldn't know how to talk about anybody. And so it really is breaking down those assumptions we have as well. Um, I've been rambling for a long time about pronouns because I'm excited about them. I didn't even talk about neo pronouns at all. I think pronouns are, are important. It's kind of moving away from those uh, assumptions since being on TikTok. There are individuals that I would assume would be one uh, gender, but they aren't. And it's those assumptions that can really hurt people. And I think the difference too between the way a person looks and the way they identify makes such a huge difference because I know I've caught myself as well if I'm feeling uncomfortable asking somebody about their pronouns, because of course that's best practice is to ask somebody their pronouns. Um, but for instance, I went to a, a new chiropractor and you know, this was like what I perceived as a middle-aged man. And I'm like, of course he's going to use he, him pronouns. Like, what is the point of asking? It's pretty safe to assume. But I kind of swallowed my pride and I asked what his pronouns were. And he said, oh, they are he, him. And I was like, okay, great. But then I realized that I'm like, whoa, I just looked at this person. And I'm like, oh, it's safe to assume he uses he, him pronouns. But I'm fully aware of the fact that people look at me and they're like, oh, this person is wearing lipstick, is wearing a dress, like definitely a woman, she, her pronouns. And that's not the case. Those aren't my pronouns. 
Um, and so this idea that, you know, like just because a person looks really feminine doesn't mean their pronouns are she, her. Just because a person looks really masculine doesn't mean their pronouns are they, them. Um, I went on a date with one of my partners. They have a full beard, very masculine, use they, them pronouns. I was like, you know, wearing a dress, wearing a full face of makeup, also they, them pronouns. Like, you just really can't assume. And the way a person chooses to express their gender and dress themselves and whatever it may look like doesn't indicate what their gender identity is either. And I think it's important to clarify, based on um, scientific studies and research, there is a, a separation between your sex, which is your chromosomes, gender identity, with, which is how you identify in society, and then your gender expression is just how you express as yourself. It really is this idea that uh, these those three categories are totally connected uh, in certain ways. You know, like a person being transgender, it has to do with the fact that their sex assigned at birth is different than their gender identity. So these concepts connect to each other and relate to each other. But it's super important to recognize the distinctions because how do you um, how do you validate and respect a person's gender identity if you're still thinking like, oh, well, the person, you know, has these body parts, so must mean that they're a man. And like, it's just not even how it works. And then you think of sex assigned at birth and body parts aren't even the entire story, right? Like a person's sex assigned at birth has to do with their chromosomes, their hormone levels, their external genitalia, their internal reproductive organs. And there can be so many different combinations. Like, it, it's such a big, complex issue, uh, and people try really hard to reduce it down to like this binary of this or that, this or that, which is, it's just harmful. The more that we delve into the aspect of gender identity, uh, sexuality, all these different aspects that encompass the 2SLGBTQ+, is that at the end of the day, when you take away your uh, primary and secondary sex, uh, sex characteristics, and you just have a person, you can't tell the difference. You take one brain out and you compare them, you look at brain scans, we're all the same. And a lot of it is based, I mean, hormones do have like a factor in, in it, but we're all the same. We all want the same things in life. We want friends, family, just succeeding in life. The reality too is that scientifically, biologically, all human bodies start out the same, right? Like that that embryo, I don't I don't remember all the bio biology terms. The, there's zygote, different terms like embryo, yeah. fetus, whatever it is. Um, they all start out the same. There's no gender, there's no sex at that point and it starts the same and then it kind of splits and different things develop and it isn't just a you know this or that male or female there's other options that exist as well there's intersex folks that have these different experiences than what we typically talk about um and the reality is too that like as much as we say oh sex assigned at birth is completely biological well there still is a level of like human decision Right. Like if we think of, OK, what are the typical male like testosterone levels? Well, if you fall below what some scientist said at some point, like, you know, they create those ranges. So if you fall below that now, all of a sudden you're not a typical male. And like, well, somebody had to decide that somebody had to create a cutoff point. Right. Like you're a little bit above it. You're good to go. You're a little bit below it. Eh, you got it wrong. And like 
somebody makes these decisions. Somebody makes decisions of, you know, what body parts should look like and what is big enough to be considered this or too small. Like it's, these are human decisions as much as it's biology. We're forcing people into categories by creating cutoff points. Um, and it just isn't the way that, I don't know. I don't think it's the way that humans were meant to be like, I, I don't think it's nature in general. Like, like just look at algae. We want to be like, is it a plant? Is it an animal? doesn't really fit in any category. It's its own thing. So, I mean, in terms of Western science, yes, we like to put things in boxes in society. We like to have everything ni nicely organized, but life is chaotic. As much as it's nice to have some rhyme and reason and to have order to things, like I'm a control freak. I love knowing where things belong. I love, you know, being able to organize things. And I think to some extent, that is a bit of human instinct of being like, hey, there are a lot of things I can't control, so I want to control what I can. Um, but that's just not necessarily the reality of it. And even, um, you know, my my sister is pregnant and my sister and my brother-in-law are arguing about whether or not, like whether they want the baby to come early or come late. And it's one of those things where they're having these arguments of like, well, no, we don't want the baby to come early. And it's like, you have no control over it. As much as you would love to have control over it, like it makes no difference what you want. You don't have to agree on it because, you know, some of these things, it's just going to happen when it happens. And that's the reality with humans is that you can't control a lot of things. And I think that's hard and it's scary and people want to try to control what they can. But the reality is whether you you know, believe non-binary folks exist, or if you believe in the concept of non-binary folks, you don't get to determine that. Like those people exist, whether you agree that that's a real thing or not, it's real for them and they're the one that determines it. So I don't know, trying to put these controls and labels and like gatekeeping, it just, it's never going to work and it's only going to make you miserable. And it can be a challenge uh, for us. We are white and Canadian. So we have a very specific understanding of this whole situation, which is completely different in different cultures and communities. It's one of the things that I do make sure to mention and talk about, not super in depth, but when doing presentations, we talk about the impact of culture uh, on these ideas of 2SLGBTQ plus folks. Um, so for instance, two-spirit is a very cultural identity. It is only a term that Indigenous folks could use. And for a lot of people, there are different aspects of the culture that they're from and the culture they grew up in that really impacts their views on these things. Um, so when I was working in Thailand, uh, there are there's this whole community of folks, the term for them is katoi. Um, I have terrible Thai pronunciation, but you know, hopefully that's close enough. Um, but the English term they use in Thailand would be ladyboy. Uh, and here in our Western perspective, you're like, oh my God, what on earth? We can't call people ladyboys. That's horrible. And for us, it would be kind of like our Western equivalent of a trans woman. Um, but for them, they don't use that language. They don't use that kind of thought process. Um, there aren't options in Thailand for you to legally change your documents um, to ever, you know, legally change your sex or gender marker. I believe you can change your name, but they're like, your sex is your sex. This is what you are. Um, and for me, going into that culture, I was like, this is horrible. This is so oppressive. But on the other hand, these are identities that are celebrated. Like you see people who are visibly uh, ladyboys just working at the makeup shop at the mall. Like 
it's, there's no amount of trying to hide it. There's no like, you know, trying to pass or whatever, you know, like pass being like looking cis. Um, it's just not part of their culture. It's like, no, like, you know, it's one of those ideas that um, I was told, oh, everybody has at least one lady boy in their family where it just is like, it's totally acceptable. And you use like a female name for them. You use, uh, for the most part, they use like she, her pronouns. Um, and that's totally accepted. But we often view these things from our Western perspective. And we're like, no, that's oppressive. Like they need to be able to change their documents. And I'm not saying none of them would want to if they could. Uh, but it is this idea that it's like, they're probably more accepted and more like loved and celebrated than trans folks are in Canada. And so like, okay, great. You can change your sex or gender marker legally in Canada, but what does that mean if you're being discriminated against? Uh, so it, it really is this idea that we often hold our kind of European North American standards as the highest, as like the peak. And like, this is what people should work towards. You know, we are the like civilized, enlightened uh, folks, but that's just not the case. Um, and there are so many identities that exist around the world that are often more celebrated than the trans and gender diverse identities that exist in Canada. But at the same time, we still need to work together to work towards human rights for all, because in some countries, it is a death sentence. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, just because those people exist elsewhere in the world doesn't necessarily mean that they are celebrated everywhere. There definitely are places where it is still, uh, like you said, a death sentence to be gay, to be queer, um, to wear clothes that, you know, you aren't really allowed to wear, you aren't, like, that aren't acceptable to wear. Um, and these are definitely issues. And there is a certain amount of human rights that is relevant there. That is like, we can't be killing people because they're trans, whether you believe that or not, that's not acceptable as like a global, you know, initiative. We can't be allowing that. Um, and so it is, it becomes complicated very quickly. I have no problem you know, calling out the harms of the communities that I'm from um, and from like the religion that I grew up in, I have no problem and I feel comfortable calling out the harms that are done uh, in that regard. But when it comes to other uh, minority marginalized cultures, it becomes a lot more difficult, especially as a white person to be like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And they're like, well, who are you to decide that what we're doing is wrong and it's like okay touche that's a good yeah. point because what is right or wrong uh so man it like it gets blurred so fast right like who decides these things it can be a real challenge how do you approach this when you see a, a culture where you're like well this based on you the un this is wrong how do we approach this? How do we tackle this? How do we change minds? Because traditions are incredibly ingrained in people. I know for myself, it's really hard sometimes to get out of some of the mindsets or actions that I do that I was, you know, that were ingrained in me as a child. That's the thing too, is that so many of these beliefs are passed down from families, from our societies, from our cultures. And what we learn is right or wrong comes from those uh, influences in our life. And so how do you 
how do you determine that like what you grew up with and what you've always known is what is right and what somebody else grew up with and has always known is wrong. Um, And even if you look at things like uh, circumcision, right? So like female genital cutting or female genital circumcision uh, is considered this like horrific, you know, often the term, it's no longer the term that they use, but it was for a long time called female genital mutilation, um, which that term really indicates the view on it. And this is not me saying that, uh, you know, it's a good thing. I'm, I'm absolutely not, but that is something that is really important to some cultures. Um, but we see it as this like horrific form of abuse, but yet, uh, a lot of the time people born with penises are circumcised. Uh, And, you know, there's other people that'd be like, how is that not abuse, right? Like, how is that not a form of um, mutilation? And it's like, well, you know, like it is, but for the most part, it's a lot of white folks. It's a lot of white cultures that's do circumcision. And so it's like, it kind of passes the test because it's those white cultures. Yeah, that Western societal norm. In terms of uh, the queer uh, 2S LGBTQ+, we could go on all day talking about different aspects. And it's a conversation that's continuing to grow and evolve as our understanding of these things develops. But for those who maybe have a family member who recently came out or they themselves came out, what sort of services are available for them, support groups or something, at least here in Winnipeg? Obviously, I'm a little bit biased because I work at Rainbow Resource Center. Um, Biased and also more knowledgeable, I suppose, of Rainbow Resource Center services. Um, But the nice thing is that Rainbow Resource Center offers almost everything. Uh, So we do have uh, a youth program for, I believe it's for folks up to 21. And so that is a great option. It's like, you know, there's tons of programming that they do. Uh, There's also an older adults program uh, for 55 plus uh, for folks, because that's a community where often it's hard to find other 2SLGBTQ plus folks that are over 55. Uh, So they have a lot of programming that they do as well. Uh, So those are kind of like our, our kind of like primary Bread and the bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. They, we sometimes consider them like the pillars because it it really kind of encapsulates those kind of two uh, age ranges that often struggle to find community and don't necessarily have like workplaces or things like that where they can kind of connect with people. Um, and so those are ones where we have like full funded programming. We do also have uh, free short term counseling. Uh, so often what our counselors do is we do a lot of uh, gender counseling, kind of helping folks navigate those concepts of like, how the heck do you figure out if you are a man or a woman or something else? Um, also counseling for like family members, if maybe they had somebody come out or, you know, if somebody is struggling with their parents, not accepting them like that kind of a thing. Um, we also have a variety of social support groups. Uh, so there is one that I actually facilitate called the DEN. It's for non-binary folks, but there's also one for trans folks, one for, spe- for specifically trans masculine folks, um, a group for women, a group for men, uh, a group for kids under the age of 12, a group for parents and family members of trans folks. So there's kind of a pretty wide range of support groups and they aren't also just support groups. Like a lot of the groups also hang out uh, and like just are a space to make friends and make other queer friends. 
Um, and so that is one of the uh, great things that Rainbow Resource Center offers. And all of those groups are led and facilitated by community members. So it's not like a staff member, you know, kind of hosting an event. It's very community based. Um, we do also, uh, in my position, I work because I'm the training and education coordinator. Um, I do a lot of diversity and inclusion workshops. So working with schools and workplaces and hospitals, uh, you know, a wide range of places to promote more understanding. So that's, um, that's definitely an option as well. Like if you're like, hey, how do I get more involved? Um, if you have a workplace or somewhere where you volunteer, you know, asking to do training, seeing if there is um, an option for that. Like it's a great way to promote a bit more understanding within your workplace or within your organization. Um, and it doesn't necessarily require a lot of effort on your part, but it, it shows a willingness to, you know, help your workplace get better, help your workplace improve. So those are just some of the options. Um, Rainbow Resource Center also has like a really cool queer library. It's like all queer books. Um, and so that's a really fun place if you're a book nerd like I am. Uh, we also do hand out like safer sex supplies, harm reduction supplies, things like that. So uh, it, it reaches a lot of folks in the community. Resources like these and conversations like this are incredibly important because as we've seen from statistics, when um, individuals within this community don't have support, like their mental health just goes down and like suicide rates are incredibly high for like young transgender folks. I know there's a stat that we often talk about when we're working with um, like youth serving organizations or things like that, uh, because the statistic is that having one accepting adult in a young 2SLGBTQ plus person's life reduces their risk of suicide by 40%. So, and that's just having one person. So like literally having one teacher, having one parent, having one sibling, whoever it may be, but having one supportive person reduces their chance of suicide by 40%. So when we have these conversations, it literally is life-saving. Like that's not even um, a hyperbole. Like it absolutely is life-saving uh, to have this awareness and to have people celebrated for who they are. Uh, so it's it's important, and I'm glad that you're hosting a conversation. If you have any questions or anything like that, make sure you reach out to one of these resources. If you're you know struggling with identity or depression, reach out. There are people there to help you. Yeah, absolutely. If you have any stories you'd like us to share or communities we should highlight, leave a comment on our social media or reach out to us on our website. I'm Ryan Funk. This was You Talk and have yourself a good one.